filthy, filthy casual. And welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck a little less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 67, recorded April 19th, 2022. 67, that just sounds like a big number now. It I don't is know a why big all of yeah. a sudden that hit me. I mean, me. it's, yeah, it's, we're, we're getting there. We're almost to the triple digits. Pretty cool. I like it. I like it. Pretty cool. Uh, Pretty cool. Anything on your talking points for today? specifically there there isn't uh i have no no there isn't nothing for you wow okay i'm, um, wait, I'm a way, blank way to be way to be late and show up with nothing to talk about that's late the, and unprepared that is uh-huh. my trademark move my friend that's career that's that is that's years of practice in career advancement <laughs> on display uh-huh uh-huh all right uh well i've got a um I've 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 got a a a small option for those for those that haven't listened for a long time because I realize we we may have like new listeners from time to time. It occasionally um, happens, you know. So we don't like Frank and I fourth wall break. We don't like talk a lot in between shows. This is when we talk, and mm-hmm. we have like things that we collect over time that we want to talk about, but they're not. Dis- we don't have like we're not coming in here with notes. Yeah, like professionals, no, right? We just no, we just come. No, of course not. Like the whole point of this is we're just recording the conversations that we would wind up having ad hoc anyway. Mm-hmm. So and that's pretty much what would happen. Yeah. All right. So uh, I've I've got a couple things I can th- I can throw on the table here. First of all, it, just an odd odd little observation. Um, since I seem to be doing a lot of those last week, it was Dairy Queen. This week it's uh, Expo dry erase markers. So I have um, I've got a whiteboard in my office. Uh, and, um, I have obviously a collection of markers. Um, because I went and got a really nice whiteboard, I wanted to get really nice markers that would last Uh a good long while, good color, et cetera, et cetera. And so I go on Amazon and I start looking around and I see Expo and I think, okay, yeah, I've used Expo. They're not bad, but you know, that's what I got sitting over here. Just the generic ones. It could be better, but, uh, you know, let me, let me see what else I can find. So I do some research and I find, you know, high reviews for this, you know, this company I've never heard of a little more expensive, but I'm thinking, okay, eh, give them a shot. And, uh, pick, uh, I pick up, uh, pick those up, give those a, uh, give those a, give those a try. And, um, as it turns out, they ended up drying out and, uh, the color was not very good and they didn't last. And then, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, there you go. And so as I'm, while this is happening, this is over a period of, you know, months. Um, mm-hmm. My in-laws had moved and they dumped a bunch of stuff and um, my they, they offloaded some excess Expo markers to me and I left those for the kids to utilize. And so they couldn't touch my good ones. They had to use the Expo ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm using the Expo ones, same as the same as the kids. And, you know, for when, you know, they doodle, they leave me pictures on the, on the whiteboard. And so now Mm -hmm. I'm using them when I'm actually using the whiteboard to do, to do real work stuffs. And, um, you know, like I said, this has played out over, you know, probably a year and a half and, uh, it just, it just, I, I just got rid of them the other day, the crappy ones the other day, and now I'm using the expo ones. And it just reminded me when it comes to the, you know, on the engineering side of the fence, we have a tendency to go for nice, new, shiny, different. And I have always been a big fan of use what works. That has always been my default posture, you know, uh, new. You know, oh, oh, Microsoft put out a new Windows operating system. Cool. I'll check that out in about 18 months, you know, because I, I don't I don't want to try anything new. I want the things that are tried and true and will work every time. Um and this is something that I have applied to software development. I think it's part of the reason why I bristle so much at just anything JavaScript, because JavaScript is just the, the you know, the, 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 a wretched hive of scum and villainy when it comes to just random new crap for the sake of new crap. Um, the, in that regard, the ecosystem is just abysmal. It just sucks. 
I mean, I don't know if we talked about it on air. So you, many, so many person hours, person years, person lifetimes have been spent in the last decade reinventing wheels because JavaScript. It's like, <laughs> hey, do you we really have, have nothing better to do with your time? Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Uh, I'm too it, busy for this. Yeah. It, there, did you know that there is a um, uh, there is a JavaScript compiler in JavaScript? If you go on to GitHub, oh, yeah. somebody made JS JS. <laughs> it's like are you kidding me? Just nice. Just take nice. a long walk off a short bridge, buddy. My nice. gosh, you're not. You are not helping. You well, are some of it's just helping. you know. I mean, within any ecosystem, some of it's just computer science for computer science's sake you know like it's i'm not super mad about it but i do i i do kind of i get like this taste in the back of my mouth with the amount of time we spend reinventing and i get it's a dynamic environment because uh, you know um clients are changing so so rapidly the demands both from a feature and security perspective are changing so rapidly um it is a dynamic environment and until a little while, you know, until a minute ago in, in perspective of the, the computing industry more broadly, until a minute ago, we didn't really have need for any of this advanced functionality. And so we do kind of have to reinvent the world for the browser, which which mm -hmm. is not the way I think anybody wants it to be. But it just it is that it that it is the case that that's that's the state of affairs. Right. Um, and so, I you know, I get it. I, I'm crabby about it. I complain about it. I, I do understand a lot of it. Um I have a hard time. I think the biggest challenge for me with the JavaScript, and I know this isn't like where you were trying to go with this whole thing, but just as a, as a sidebar here, my my issue with a lot of these these frameworks specifically, um, it's just the life cycle. I no matter no matter how long X framework has been around in in the JavaScript world, specifically talking about like single page application frameworks, right? Angular and Vue and uh, React and Next and all of these sorts of things. However long it has been around, I have seen so many of these frameworks explode overnight that in a like I work in sort of like a like an enterprise environment where it's a seasonal business, things move slower mm -hmm. and we do bigger projects and like maybe it's going to take us like a year to build the thing before it hits production. And in that year, I have seen this now for the last three or four years consistently by the, from the time that we, we intake the project to the time it gets delivered to production, things are out of date. Oh yeah. Right. And, I, oh, and, and again, I'm just, yeah. I'm just comparing the, the speed, the rapidity of change, the speed of change and the volatility of the client environment, client meaning web browser environment versus the server side, right? Because in that same span of time, you can take a Ruby or a Java or a C Sharp or whatever uh, from idea to production. Maybe there's a minor framework Maybe or language got a time minor upgrade release. or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like, but Angular, Angular revs what? Like every six months. Now after two, they they kind of made that a much easier process. So it should be something you can you can manage, and you know it's going to happen. So you can kind of budget your time for it and plan against it. And okay, so there's a story there. But I just I don't. I know it, it, there is such a thing as change that's too fast for the environment that it's in. And if you're some, you know, Bay Area SaaS startup funded or whatever, probably doesn't matter, right? Spend right. as much time as you need refactoring, replatforming, you know, you're still trying to figure out what the hell your business is in the first place. So it probably right. doesn't matter. Um, but for like the enterprise environment, that, that speed of change, like it hurts. Yeah, it's it actually it, it's, it's actually a, it's actually a risk exposure. By the way, uh, check, turn your gain down just a little bit on your on your hardware. Am I coming you're, in you're, too you're, hot? You're pushing. You're pushing the. I, I'm watching you. You max out. I mean, the, I have meter. So I haven't touched my settings hmm. ever. Okay. Uh, just to, I, I mean, lower it, this just. A little you've got bit. the focus. You've got a yeah. focus, right? Right. Is that is this okay for you? Is yeah, yeah, just yeah, just 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 a little bit off the top, just a just a smidge. You want more? No, no, you're good now. I think. Oh, I okay. think you're good right. now. We'll see. Okay. We'll see how that goes. But I'm sitting here. I'm watching. I'm watching you. you like max the line. Like it's it's a straight yeah. flat line on the top. So just a little bit, just a little bit. Anyway, um, we test in production here on the refactor. <laughs> <laughs> the um, with with the you know you know markers to development. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've always been a fan of stuff that was stable, that was, that was recognized. 
you know, the idea of going for new hotness, you know, like we, we're going back quite a few years, but I, you know, remember that you dragged me kicking and screaming into, okay, that's, that's melodramatic, but, um, I, I, you, you sold me on the notion of doing some work in Ruby at a time when I wasn't doing anything in Ruby. I had Mm. been doing PHP at the time and really liked it and really enjoy it. And it's, it's been really nice. It's really stable. And I I like their approach, uh, you know, very good monolithic approach for new apps in development. Um, and I have not seen, just like I didn't see a reason to switch before, although you presented one and we tried it and it was worth it, you know, I wait for a reason to switch rather than, oh, shiny, let's just go, let's just go chase that, you know? And I know that- Well, if you got a, if you got a side project, if there's some environment where you can play with things or it doesn't really matter what the outcome, that, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, right. But if I'm going to, if I'm going to like, if, if this is gainful employee- I'm going to use what works, right? I right. I want boring. Please give me the boring option. Yeah, you want the, the most. Yeah, that's right. You want the I mean, most I mean, boring stuff. To go back to to keep this going, we we had this exact discussion. I think I don't know, ten plus years ago now. Or, well, almost ten years ago. Uh, uh, a, a new company, and we had to solve for configuration management. Mm-hmm. And we looked at everything. Ansible existed. I don't think we really. We tried it, but on that one, we I didn't, forget why we didn't. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, Puppet and Salt came up as our as our two main contenders for config mm-hmm. management, and they're they you know at the time they were functionally equivalent for our purposes. I understand there are differences, but you know they were going to get the job done for us. It didn't really matter at a, at a business level which one we chose. Ultimately, the underlying technology Puppet was based on Ruby, and uh, Salt is based on Python. Ultimately, that was the deciding factor in consolidating on SaltStack. Why? Because Ruby was changing every three minutes, and it still does, and that's great. And there may be a huge degree, pardon me, there may be a huge degree of, of forward compatibility within a major version of Ruby. They've done a great job at, at maintaining that. But every time you would update the system, you'd get a new version of Ruby, then you had to recompile, then you know you had to deal with RBenf, and, and biting off all of that just to bootstrap your system configuration wound up being a toll right that we didn't see with with salt stack not because salt stack was better than puppet and by the way i actually i think it is um it's it's a a more diverse tool set but not because of any functional difference between the two but because python wasn't changing every three weeks and so it was it represented a more stable environment for us at that time um and I, I don't know. That was it. Like that stuff, Matt. Boring matters. Yeah, no, it, it does. I, I, I recall that differently. I remember, I remember the the Ruby uh, volatility being an issue. But I just remember because we were doing things. Because I mean, let's be honest, we were doing DevOps before DevOps was was cool. Before it was even called DevOps, you know, we were taking this config management tool and we were turning it into a um, deployment automation script. It was basically like this you know, hack around for, you know, what is effectively Terraform today. Um, And the nice thing about Salt was when you ran it in a masterless mode, it had everything built in, like everything was just there versus Puppet. We had so many extra libraries that we had to include from third parties to make it do all the things that we needed it to do. But Salt had it all baked in. And so we were able to go with just the one, you know, the lone Salt Oh, I don't remember. You don't remember yeah, that? I mean, if it, if I mean, if it was like batteries included type of a question, yeah, I, I don't I dispute thought, that. I just don't yeah, remember. no, I, I know you the don't. Big thing being the underlying language runtime right. being slower, right, and and a, a better sense of stability. It was also like that. I think I think we had all, like as an industry, we were like, okay, yeah, Python three, like new stuff goes on three, but that was around the time of like the Ruby one one dot nine to two. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm recalling, and so that that may have played a part in it because Puppet was like straddle. I don't remember all the details. It's a very long time ago. But right, right. Anyway, we I wound up going with boring, right? Whether it was right. because the underlying language runtime was more stable, or whether it because it was batteries included, we didn't have to manage a bunch of third party dependencies that were also going to cause uh, change management hell. The end result is we wanted the boring option. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Go for go with boring. Go with stable. Go with steady. And you know, if it works. 
keep using it. I mean, explore fancy new stuff, but when it comes to it, just, just go with, go with what you got and go with, go with what works. And that that's across technologies. That's it. That's software development. That's infrastructure, you know, tried and true is, is there's, there's, there's absolutely something worthwhile there. So you should hold on to. Um, so I had in the, uh, the list of talking points here, I forget why I wrote this down because I feel like we're going to vehemently agree on this, but I wrote down that we, the the talking point everyone should code, and I think this was a I think I bookmarked that we 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 went tangent at some point and ended up there, but didn't want to explore it. Um, I think we've both heard this before. You know, this notion that everyone should know how to code, everyone should code. It's part of uh, it's now part of a lot of um, school curriculums. Um, my kids are doing early intro to code type of exercises at school. Um, they, mm-hmm. There are some actually some pretty cool programs that do introduce basic coding concepts to, uh, to children. Um, and I wrote this down because I, according to what I've got here, you vehemently disagreed that everyone should code. Yes. Yes. Um, Care to elaborate. No, that's it. Let's roll the credits. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Well, it's been a great show today. Thank you so much. If you have feedback. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, everyone should code. No, every, everyone should not code. Can anyone code? Yes, it is. It is. A, if I mean, if you're listening to us, you probably already can do it and you understand it and you understand that it's really nothing that special. Anyone certainly can do it. And I think everyone, I, it would be a nice message to send everyone that had they a use case for it, that we can make it accessible to them. I don't mm-hmm. have any problem with that, with that messaging. Um, but I don't think as a matter of course, everyone should code. And and I guess maybe some maybe some definition there is worthwhile, right? Like, is this everybody should have experienced writing some kind of code at some point or is this like everybody should have this as a working knowledge skill set that they employ on some basis so uh, the the thought process i have heard is that because code is eating the world and everything has code attached to it is that ever similar it, it the there is the, it's like typing like you should know how yeah. to type you should know how to code that's yeah, the, that, that's one school of thought it. you don't buy yeah it. No. Yeah, and if that's if that's the if that's the definition that, that, that I don't buy it, right? Um, sh- everyone, okay. So let me let me take this another direction. Everyone can change their oil, like that is a very easy auto maintenance task to perform, and mm-hmm. I think everybody should be aware that were they to need to do it, it's actually very accessible. I don't think everybody should be changing their oil every three thousand miles in their car, right? And it's the same thought process and. Once again, dragging this back to software as a skilled trade, yeah, can you do it? Sure. Maybe is there value in everybody at least trying, you know, dabbling, like try it once in college kind of a th- sure. There's I think there's insight. <laughs> like I'm I'm sort of take the lifelong learner approach where I think I'm always looking to understand things in deeper detail and having done it, it gives you an appreciation for what it is. And then as soon as you understand just enough to kind of see what it's like, there's, there's probably a better time for you to spend your time and money, right? There's like, mm. you, you go and then, you know, hedgehog principle, right? You, you go and if that's, if software is not your, as a, as a person, right? As a personal brand, if software is not your core business, then you should outsource it. Right. Right. So, so I, I just notionally, I disagree with this concept that it's, it's something every like, okay, I think about different family members I have. Um, you know, I think about uh, say my father or my wife or my cousin. What is, what is the rationale behind it? What is, what is the impetus for them to code? Well, how does it improve their life? How does it improve outcomes? How does mm-hmm. it net them a better standard of living? I just don't see, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it is a vision for the world that I don't share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe you were looking for something a little more no i was looking uppity. Uh, no, no no normally no. i'd come at that one pretty hot i don't know if i'm just having a mellow day but um <laughs> well you did just get out of a long meeting so you know that yeah. that'll 
Yeah. That'll do it. Um, I, I, hmm. Conceptually, there's some good foundational knowledge here that I think is useful because how many people in a, in a work environment, you know, in a, in an office knowledge worker environment have ended up doing some kind of formula in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, like that, that is a Excel. You could argue that Excel is actually the world's largest development platform. You, you, you could make a case for that, uh, yeah. given the prevalence. Um, and so it, it does for a certain segment of type of work, it is pretty ubiquitous. And a lot um, of people are going to fight you on that, by the way. What do you mean? Fight me on that, what? The, the assertion of, of Excel being the world's largest development. It's platform. a little tongue in cheek, but if you, I mean, if you play it out, it's actually pretty true. I you know, it's a. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to sidebar you on this, but I, mean, I, we can. I would I'd, agree that it, it, it is. You, yeah, hands down. It is. Oh, okay. All right. So we're agreeing. But All like right. Some, like, I was yeah, getting somebody, ready to ring like, the bell. I was getting ready to ring no, the bell there. Like, I think, like somebody that argues, oh, no, it's not because a, a pivot is not programming. Like, okay, well, then how What's do a you join? What's a join? You know? Right. Like a, da a database right. Or I was going to take it even, even another way. Like, okay, uh, how do you argue that, like, calling uh, dot, you know, uh, dot map and dot select in Ruby on an array is programming or, or how, how would you argue that that's still programming when actually, actually, <laughs> if you've actually. ever processed data in say SunSpark assembler <laughs> that you know what is happening under the hood, um, you know, it's just, it's hot. You're telling the computer what to do in a language Chris, in a please. format that it understands. Chris, so please. Okay. I harvest my own silicon. Okay. Like get on my level. I clearly <laughs> know on. more, more of the layers <laughs> and know better than you. That makes me get, more programmer than you. I, I am get, I more programmer points to me than you. So, so get good noob. Yeah. Like get good noob. Right. And, 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 you know, the, the, I mean, that's the, you're, you're, you're countermanding that, that argument, which is, it's a, it's a superfluous yeah. non sequitur because, you know, there's always somebody who's worked at some deeper level to it. And I mean, if you go deep enough with this, you actually, it's like, oh yeah, well, right. I, and unless you, I teach kids how to do programming in school. So honestly, you could almost say that the elementary teacher that's teaching my daughter programming in school is more of a programmer than you since you know it's What's so foundational so get on educators her educators are programming the humans in their class exactly so like, right come right. on it's all turtles all the way it, down. Tur it turtles all um, the way down and eventually you end up with at you know the singularity god the big bang something <laughs> i mean unless you have unless you have run wires from power sources to transistors and gates you haven't actually programmed right, right? Put, like that's right, ultimately clearly. that's the ultimate you right. know, kind of stopping point. Um, but no, I think if you're, uh, you're, you're using a software system to control the output of digital information, to control the processing and storage and output of digital information, that's it. That's programming. Right. So if you're, if you're in there slinging Excel, slinging pivots and, and things like that for, for some definition of the term, that's, that's programming. programming. Yeah. Right? I mean, you understand inputs and outputs and functions. You understand the capabilities of the machine and you're leaving the machine to do the number crunching. If that's not programming, like, I don't know what is. You have, you have variables, you know, the cells yeah. themselves are variables. You have yeah. iterative looping processes, you know, going over rows, over columns. Yeah. And, and any programs that are like, oh yeah, Excel, it's kind of cool, but I don't really use it. You want a master class in cell-based programming, go talk to your, uh, go talk to your head of accounting. That's right. Go talk I to finance. <laughs> they will dazzle you. They will impress you with the capabilities mm -hmm. of that system because mm -hmm. Excel is actually pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know any of it. Like I am, I am low level. Like I'm a casual with Excel, mm. but I have seen people filthy, filthy casual. I, like, like there needs to be what was that? Uh, that series, the Benders, right? There's like three or five, the air and the water. Like mm -hmm. they are like Excel Benders. They're cell oh, benders. oh, oh, the oh, the, the these, last these of the air benders. People. Last yeah, of the air benders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the Excel Benders. <laughs> what a nerdy, nerdy <laughs> reference! Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
cheese. Um, <laughs> um, I wasn't, and then I had to get good, as it were, on Excel because of uh, mm-hmm. you know in my last position, I, I had to help finance. You know, they were doing some major Excel jujitsu. Yeah, it was. They ended up, but they were doing a lot of it in a very manual process. And so I ended up writing a bunch of, well, it was Google Sheets, and I ended up writing AppScript, which is Google's equivalent to, um, what is it, Visual Basic? Whatever the oh, underpinning. macros. Yeah. yeah, yeah, macro, whatever the language mm-hmm. is that, Google has an equivalent to what you can script in in Excel and, yeah. and Office. Um, and I ended up writing that to do a bunch of ju- you know, wizardry with the spreadsheet, which, you know, so I was writing code very traditional style quote yeah. code quote and unquote, that's real even, code. yeah that's and, that's nail in the coffin if you're doing that then either i don't think oh you're full-on would, programming yeah i don't think would, anyone there's would nobody argue who that. would argue no exactly. i don't think so yeah but yeah that's but, clear cut but then it was writing formulas and scripts and things like that on top of it and so it was this you know it was this yeah. inception kind of kind of thing and so i ended up getting really um savvy at least with the um with the sheets flavor although i have done my fair share of excel um, formulas work as well. Um, even if you're, I would say, you know, if you haven't touched it, you know, I guess you're counting yourself lucky. Um, but if you have to get in there and get nitty gritty with it, background and development, you're going to pick up, you find the documentation, you'll pick up and run with what's going on under the hood pretty quickly. I mean, it's got functions, you know, the, the, the cells are the variables. You just got to learn how to iterate, uh, over columns or, or rows. As appropriate, that's really yeah, I'll, the, the I'll biggest be honest, thing. List list formulas or array formulas, whatever they're called, they they still trip me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of how it's you, thinking about how it's actually looping, because you can yeah, loop it's different and it's different notation. It's easier to different get it notation wrong in weird yeah. ways and cause cycles and um, and 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 it's it's actually it's functional programming. It's actually a true functional program. Like there's a function yeah, that's for fair. there's or like a, like a logical or a logical and is a function. It's not a, it's not an operator inside of the equation. Like you actually have to wrap things in an or function to a, mm-hmm. this thing or this other thing. Yep. And then consequence. Like it, it, it's yeah. so, you know, for people who are all like, Oh, why hasn't functional programming taken over the world? I don't know. Why aren't you writing everything in Excel? You know, <laughs> because it's all, it's all right there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, where, where the heck were, oh, right. Everybody should code. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think everyone, there's a, I, I think a, a significant number of people will be exposed to it, but you mentioned, you know, like you're changing the oil and, and car repair and mechanic, and there are tons of fields that don't actually deal with this kind of knowledge work on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and programming ain't going to matter a whole lot at all. Although, as I say that, computers are practically cars on wheels these days, and there's actually quite a bit of okay, software so, that they so, deal with. So, so hmm. uh, stick framing a house. Okay. What's programming going to do you for that? Stick framing a house. Uh, I mean, the architect certainly, you know, using CAD architect, for the right. designs, right? But yeah, I'm but, talking about the actual no, You're talking about building, the guys. Like the builders. Yeah, the builders. Right? How like if I gotta if I gotta put a new wall up to divide my basement right as was programming it like and and I I don't and I'm not being like smarmy about it like legitimately there are more use cases than not where computers are right. simply not applicable like they mm-hmm. don't matter yeah I, it's I, not a value added people's life and like the change your own so you can program a spreadsheet you can change your own oil uh, you can switch all your light fixtures in your rooms with ceiling fans uh you can replace mm-hmm. a toilet you can uh mow your lawn you can i don't know repoint your brick you can t- drive to the store like i'm just coming up with all these different tasks that like you don't do all of those things mm-hmm. you could do them whoever right. you are whatever your skill set is these are accessible things but you don't do them you you pay other people to do them right 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 um yeah, and and you're right. You're you're you know, those roles. You know, you're not going to use that that skill set. However, I will say I think it belongs in the curriculum in the schools. I think they should learn. You know, you're there to learn, and it it is software is eating the world. Programming and software is a 
sort of universal truth to, has, to our has world already, now. I would say. Yeah, it has already. Past tense. Yeah. And so understanding programming and being exposed to it as a concept in school, I think is a good thing. I think that's a net good. Um, but not everyone needs to, you know, come out of computer science and, you know, actually be full, full fledged programmers. I, I, I don't I think, think that's great. necessary. I think it's great to explore. Yeah. I, I would agree. It's, it's great to explore. Um, yeah. it's just like accounting or you know, wood shop or yeah, exactly. Piping all, or anything else. All right? those just, things. Let's, so like, and I, I think when, when we talk about this, I, I can't help but personalize it and be selfish. I can't help but think how that advice would apply to my wife and mm-hmm. how we would think about applying it with our children. And for my wife, learning to program isn't, there's nothing for her. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Right. She that just doesn't have a use case for it. It's, and it's, it's not going to, it's, it's not a skill set that she needs mm-hmm. that for my kids. I think what you just said, expose them to it. Make sure that they understand the impact that it has on the world and the possibility space that it represents. I just got to force them into it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, I don't see value just like plumbing or or electrical work or you know framing or the, we keep going back to the skill trade thing. Show them how it's done. Show them what the possibility is. Mm-hmm. Uh, see if they like it. If they like it, support the heck out of them. But that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Expose them and then see where they want to go. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, all right. But I think the, everyone, everyone should code it going back to, I don't know if it was last week, the week before, I think that's marketing. I think that is, uh, I'm sorry, demand generation for the, for the coding boot camps and stuff. <laughs> this is, is this big code? Is, is, is that this what is, this is? This is big boot yes. camp? Uh, they rearing camp. their big boot camp, exactly. rearing their, Rearing their exactly. ugly head, just, just, you know, and just unlike big spackle, I'm not afraid of these guys. <laughs> Watch out for those. <laughs> Watch out for that big spackle, <laughs> big code, big boot camp. Jeez. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. I don't have anything, uh, super timely <clears throat> or, uh, timely this week. So why don't we go to so mailbag? Go to the mailbag? Let's go yeah. to mailbag. What do you got? Let's go to the mailbag. A little extra time on it this um, week. So today's question comes to us from Joe and Joe says or asks, what is different about being an effective consultant versus being an effective employee for the mm. same company? For the so I'll same? drop that again. Yeah. What is different about being an effective consultant versus being an effective employee for the same company? Consultant versus employee for the same company. So is this a situation? So in, this, in this scenario, what I imagine is uh, uh, he's thinking about one company, you know, ABC Corp, and looking at this and saying, okay, what does a successful employee of ABC Corp look like? Uh-huh. And what does, an ex- uh, what does a successful consultant of ABC Corp look like? Mm. And is there a meaningful delta? between? Uh, I see. I see. I mean, being... I I think that um, so I've 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 done the consulting shtick. We've both done the consulting shtick, but my last job was actually doing you know was a consulting agency, and so um, one thing I I learned a lot you know doing it in a much more formal professional way uh, with that company. Um, first thing I learned was that as a consultant, you kind of have one strike and you're out. You 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 can't go in there. And, you know, you, you can't screw up like royally, like nobody's perfect. You know, you miss a meeting, you know, whatever. But if you, if you make any kind of serious strategic blunder, that's pretty much it. You're not going to get another chance. Um, whereas an employee, they have, there's more invested there. They are, you know, there's a, there's a mutual understanding that they're invested in your growth and improvement, uh, to the benefit of the company. And so there's an effort when that happens to learn from the mistake and then not make it again. Um, And so employees get a little more leniency for that stuff. But with contractors, that's not the case. If the contractor doesn't fit, it's not our person. It doesn't fit. It's not working. Get them out of here. I'm not wasting my money on, on this. Um, And uh, I saw this play out because, you know, we, we managed teams of, 
consultants on projects. If a, if a contractor, if one of my team members misstepped with the employer, um, we, we had a term for it. We called it getting burned. You know, they would Mm -hmm. be, they would be burned and we, you you can't come back from that. We had to pull them out and, you know, we sit down and talk with them. You know, we wouldn't necessarily terminate them. (laughs) You know, if it was egregious enough, it would, I don't think that ever happened with me though. Um, right. But, uh, if, uh, you know, we would pull them out and then we would talk with them, figure out what they did wrong, how they could not do that again in the future, and then find a new client, a new opportunity to deploy them to. And we would have to replace them with with someone else because, you know, the client wasn't going to give them the the opportunity. I think that's the I think that's the biggest difference in my mind. What about you? I, what do you think? I don't think those I, I have two part answer and it's kind of a trick. Uh, it's not necessarily fair. So the, the question is. What's different about being an effective consultant versus an effective employee? So I think okay. you're you're certainly right. If and, and there's a there's a language thing here that I want to unpack for a second, but but skipping right. over that for just a minute. Um, what you've described are sort of the failure modes, and I think they are different. An employee gets a second chance; a consultant doesn't. Now, that is true, right? right? Um, but consultant, so. That, can we clear again? I, this is like the this is like the thesaurus. This is the dictionary day of refactored. Sure. What what do we mean by consultant? Because I I think there are two different words, and they get used in a lot of cases interchangeably. And I don't know if maybe they're only different in my mind, or if this is some shared delusion with other people. But in my mind, there's consultant and there's contractor. Okay. And I, True. in my, in my language, I tend to use them differently. So a consultant, yes. there is kind of like a strict ordering. A consultant is a higher level outside voice of authority and experience mm-hmm. that can help guide, help in, in, in whose, whose input helps influence your decision-making. Right. And, and often that would be like more at a strategic level than a tactical one. Right. Whereas a contractor is somebody where I know what needs to get done. I need somebody just to go execute it. And I output us, you know, the, 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 the relationship is input spec output code from a contractor. Whereas the consultant is going to help me discover, define, design what it is the spec's going to look like. If that makes, is that a, no, I, am I the only one that thinks that way? You're not. I think the same way. The reason they get conflated is because they're both paid and structured uh, compensation for them is structured in the exact same way. They're, they're both 1099s. They're both 1099s. Yeah. And, they're, okay. and there is some of the one striking you're out for both of them because- Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I did, don't think that's different. Uh, yeah, we had way. higher level consultants. We did the consulting work. Now, mm-hmm. we had hands-on practical stuff. And so, you know, you could call them contractors- you know, to the definition distinction that you're talking about there. Um, right. They so actually often- wore both hats. Actually, a, a, con- a, a contractor can consult and a consultant can contract. And often I yeah. do. And I think um, they do, but they're not the yeah, same. But they're, okay. So I'm roles. not, I'm I, not way off on that. I don't, that. Th- okay. I don't okay. think so. No. So uh, now with respect to what's different about being an effective consultant versus an employee, absolutely nothing. Hmm. What do you mean? Absolutely okay. nothing. Okay. So being, right? so, 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 uh, Let's just start with a, a really concrete, discrete, easy one okay. compensation. Because I might a preview right. here, I might be disagreeing with you. So I want to see where no, this goes. No, that's fine. That's fine. So so let's start with it. That's just the tactical, easy to address one compensation is often very similar between mm-hmm. a good employee and a good consultant. If you do the rate hourly rate conversion, you'll think the consultant's making more money until you realize that we are not withholding your income tax mm-hmm. and we are not paying you benefits and time off. So once you include the, once you look at it and and a fully loaded employee's compensation package often winds up being roughly equivalent to what the consultant is making on an hourly basis, they have to handle the overhead instead of the company doing it. But overall, that one's easy. Yeah. Yeah. For practically speaking, yes, it's absolutely. In fact, my company, when we were interviewing people, um, we gave them the option. Like we said, we like you. We want to bring you on board. You can be a full-time W-2 employee or you can be 1099 and we'll treat you the exact same way. Total it's package just, is the same. Total it's package just what is the you, same. Yeah. And we yeah. did the math and we would do the math. Okay, here's what you would make yeah. W-2 based on this rate, you know, 
we figured it out on W2 and then we would convert it to 1099. It's just a formula. It's it's easy. Yeah, and if you and 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 I think a lot of uh, a lot of contributors that haven't had exposure into management or business operations, but they don't realize like when you get your offer for base comp, that's not what the company is paying you. That's what you get in your check, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe less taxes, but the overall package is worth a lot more than that. And it could be 10 to 50% more, right? Once you include, you include benefits, all the benefits, once you include time off, once you include taxes, once you include all of these other costs that the business takes on for you, um, overhead rate could be 10, 20, 30%, you know, or more. Yep. Um, again, less, less taxes, which is an additional whatever. Anyway, uh, so comp, comp wise, no difference. Uh, in terms of, and this is the, I, I wanted to talk about that because it's just a thing and it's easy to kind of parcel off and we can yeah, agree yeah, on yeah. it. But the meat of this question, what he's really saying here, what Joe's really saying is what is the actual difference in, in attitude and behavior and outcome? Nothing. Because I think the the qualities that make a good consultant and make a good employee are one and the same. You want to have your head up on a swivel. You want to have peripheral vision and situational awareness because you're not going to recommend or go off doing things that are out of concert with the rest of the group you're operating in. A successful employee or consultant will be thinking a couple of steps ahead or trying to and and calling out risks before they're at your front door. Mm. Um, and they're going to be constantly learning and growing and trying to understand more about the the business and the technology. Um, and I think at its root, uh, they have their, they communicate well, right? They take initiative. I mean, all these things like they're, I just don't see the difference. What I, what I think the practical difference is employees don't think of it that way. Employees don't think about brand Chris or brand Frank. Employees don't see themselves as a one person business. And so and so Susan's not aware that we that Susan has a brand and Susan has name recognition within the organization and that she's thought of as an entity greater than just her person or aside from just her person. Um, I don't think there's necessarily the and so then that's not just marketing, that's sales, right? The, the negotiating, right? So when you when you get an offer from all of those sorts of things. Um, the relationship with the organization uh, may may lean towards more unhealthy for an employee if they don't recognize that that separation. Um, but again, that's kind of more like a failure mode than a than a success, which is the the nature of the question. Yeah, well, and you could even I mean, you could turn it into the you you flip it flip it on its head to dis- define it in successful terms. You know, really strong, successful, full time employees recognize that they have a brand and work to nurture it and right, to grow right, exactly. their to grow their reputation and they you know they approach yeah, I'm, everything. I'm saying practically that's where the difference is often even with successful employees i think that stuff is weaker or less acknowledged than a consultant you can still be a successful employee mm-hmm. kind of absent that stuff yeah. it is a force multiplier it does matter um, yeah. and i think there's kind of growing awareness of that in the workforce but um yeah i, I in summation i think I think there really is no difference. Okay, so I I think I agree. Go back to the question: Did they actually say consultant or contractor? Uh, consultant. They said consultant. Okay, so I am being actually an effective consultant versus being an effective, effective employee. employee. Okay, so I am actually going to disagree. I think there is actually when you talk about consultant, I think there is actually some difference. Oh, okay. Um, aside from the aside from the three strikes one strikes thing, which is right. a difference. How do you think about that? The the other thing is as a consultant. They expect you to point out the things that are wrong. They have a baseline expectation that you are going to give them actionable insight. Now, they may not act on it. They may not do anything with it, but they expect you as the expert to say, okay, you're off, you you know, you're, you're, you're out of bounds here. You're, you're too low here. You're too, you're too high there. Pointing out all of these different flaws. Now, the 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 distinction though it's it this is a subtle nuancey thing because full-time employees can see all the same stuff and in fact often do but the expectation of the people paying the checks are different they expect the employees to yeah potentially raise their concerns but at the end of the day do the job that they're assigned 
Whereas when when a con when a consultant is brought in, there's an expectation that that consultant is there to give them information that they don't already have. And so they're there to help them identify weaknesses, to to identify and exploit opportunities for growth. And this leads to the most frustrating and maddening pr- uh, problem reality with consultants and and consulting in general because and you and I have both been in this situation where I know exactly the, the full-time employees the full-time employees see all the same crap that the consultant sees and they have been trying for nigh on weeks months years whatever to get those things fixed and nobody listens but then they bring in the consultant and all of a sudden the oh my god this exact same stuff and all of a sudden oh my gosh this guy's a genius why didn't we it's hire infuriating. him it's infuriating it's you maddening <laughs> we have all seen it we all know that viscerally mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a shame but yeah i mean see there though I, I struggle a little bit because because the locus of everything that you just mentioned is management's attitude toward the person, mm-hmm. toward the consultant or employee, right? Dollar sign individual. Right. I I didn't hear you just argue that an effective employee doesn't do those things or an effective consultant does them better. Oh, okay. So- I heard you. What I heard you say was management expects it from one and doesn't pay attention to the other and. That's ineffective management if you're not keeping your ear to the ground and asking your employees for problems and trying to suss those things out instead of paying for a consultant to tell you what everybody on the ground already it, knows. So that's true, but it goes a little deeper than that. Because the expectation is different, that means that the roles themselves are fundamentally different. So but in both – with thinking about this reality, both sides can screw up. If the, if the full-time employee pushes for change – and eschews the responsibility, they can find themselves in in hot water. If the consultant who is brought in with an expectation of having all of this expert knowledge and providing the expert knowledge and, and giving them advice and guidance and all of that, and doesn't do that, they can find themselves out. So we had that problem at times. We would have, because we were an engineer consultancy, so we had engineers on our team who were really, truly engineers and not consultants. And so they would go in and do hands-on work and uh, you know, build things, design things, do all the things that a full-time engineer anywhere else would do. And it wasn't good enough. They were seen as providing not enough value for the dollars they were spending. And, and we would, you know, one of the pushbacks, if we did not position ourselves properly, one of the pushbacks we could get from a customer was, oh, you guys are just high-priced staff augmentation. You're just overpriced staff augmentation. I can get these same services from an overseas team. That was a that was a positional failure on the part of the consultant because the consultant wasn't actually delivering on the thing that they needed to. Yeah, they need to write code, but that's not where the value is. I ended up making this part of my onboarding yeah. because we had to avoid that this became such an endemic issue. I would say to every new engineer coming in, the th- what the customer values is not the stuff coming out of your fingers. It's what's in your head. They want to know your knowledge and, and, and insight. And so you need to share that with them, even if they're not overtly asking for it, because that's another yeah, big think, thing that engineers do. Yeah, I get, I, I'm with you on all of that. I think though, what you've described is a difference in failure mode, not right, a difference so? in what makes you effective. Uh, but I, and it, it may be the mm, case. It may be the case that many employees don't take that initiative and share the issues and try to communicate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's where I think you have a point specifically. Like we 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 delineated consultant versus contractor. And right. We said that they both often they will both play both roles, but I think the breakdown is different. Right. Eighty twenty in different directions, maybe or you know whatever the exact number is doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe the way that we structure our teams is such that, like, if you were doing a mapping from 1099 to W2, maybe everybody's expectation is that if you're a contributor on a W2, you are equivalent to 100% contracting, meaning doing the technical stuff that your manager or the PM or marketing or whoever asked you to do. You never actually asked for your opinion or, or told that we want you to raise your hand when you smell something wrong. 
Whereas like a manager within the company, there is sort of an implicit expectation that they're providing that level of feedback. Mm -hmm. Yes. In other words, in other words, I think what you've described is again, just another failure mode, not a difference in what makes somebody effective. Cause I've had, I think we have both probably had employees who had the consultant mindset, who had that, that attitude right. were very successful. Yeah. Uh, yes we're getting really so maybe i'm oversimplifying no i don't think you're oversimplifying but we're getting into hair splitting territory here because if i'm a if i'm a full-time are we i got my knife uh, (laughs) if if i'm a full-time employee i'm hired to do a thing okay Mm -hmm. and uh you know I, the, the thing that I'm hired to do is, you know, whatever the job is. Now we can see and observe things outside of our areas of purview, but because there's already that fixed fundamental assumption that, you know, I hired you to do this thing. We're not, the company is not as receptive to things outside those boundaries. On top of that, you now have uh, natural human behavior and our, and our own tribal inclinations. If I see a thing, so if I'm in engineering and I see something in sales or marketing, okay, that I can provide insight or guidance into. Well, now I'm stepping on somebody, potentially stepping on somebody yeah. in, in sales or marketing. And so now you've got the personality conflicts, whereas consultant outside uh, detached, uh, presumed objective, and more most importantly, not beholden to the social structures within that organization, it allows them free movement around that stuff. So that no, and the, so that the employee saying this thing over in sales is wrong can get them in hot water. The, the consultant saying this thing over in sales is wrong actually gets them recognition because that's what they're there to do. So it's a it's a fundamental understanding of what the role is. Like there, there so there is it, that's my point. I think there is a distinction in the work and in the expectation because as a full-time employee, I, I do have to keep my I head. You've, I got to keep my head down a little bit. I got to make sure that I'm, you know, I got to cover my own ass. CYA. We talk about this all the time. That's a, that's a valid and necessary part of your life as a full-time employee. As a consultant, you actually need to fight that, that instinct because you need to be actually be more outspoken about the things that you see because that's the value that you're bringing to the table being seeing those things and telling them those things is valuable um i'm going to drop a uh, i'm going to drop a recommendation in here you call it a pick um there is a book called the practice of professional consulting um, oh yeah we've talked about that we've one. talked about it a little bit i'm i'm giving it again then it's an excellent read and it goes through the reasons why you hire a consultant and what a consultant does one of the first things in that list is telling me something i already know Be- yeah. and and it, it, that is the crux of this whole thing I, as the, as the manager, I already know this thing because I've seen it because my team has reported it. I see the problem, but I don't have the political clout to move it. I bring in a consultant who verifies the thing that I already yeah, know. So, I, so I'm going to the- piss off everybody. So <laughs> I, I see where you're going and I, I, you're not wrong, but you are. I, let me, all right, let me, let me, you are correct okay. that that is the difference that is a difference between okay. an effective employee and an effective consultant. Um, it is both. I, the, the thing that's going to make a lot of people upset is not a, not a popular opinion, but it is reality, is that while, while anybody has the capability, while everybody has the ability of being an effective employee, under that definition, right, mm-hmm. where, the, where the two are the same, let's say everybody has the ability to operate in that it's not the employee's fault with an ability and with a drive and with a track record of behavior and attitude to support that Mm -hmm. the difference is the company the difference is not actually the consultant or the employee the difference is the company the social structure that you mentioned that allows an employee to be effective in the in the vein that you're describing here the bureaucracy the problems you're pointing out here they're not with the consultant nor the employee they're with mm-hmm. the management structure they're with the attitude of the company that's not listening to its people that needs to pay somebody to tell them what they already know you're absolutely right 
a lot of consulting is telling people what they already know or suspect. So why the hell are you paying me, right? And it's those social structures. It's the politics. It's the bureaucracy. It's the nonsense. And so the 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 sad and unpopular thing, you know, take from this is that if you get this and you're an employee and you feel like you're not being an effect effective. It's a call to action to you to step up your game and really think that through and figure out why you're not being effective and to get there. Mm -hmm. But it's also like your organization may not allow you to be effective and that's not your fault. And if that's a blocker for you, you need to find one that will. Mm. Like that's, I think, unpopular take. Mm. But the difference that what makes an employee not effective Again, given their ability and desire to be effective, uh, as you just described, like versus what an effective consultant does and how they behave, that's not on the employee. That's on the company. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, but I think that the natural inclination of groups of people leads to this outcome, no matter how. No matter how how uh, in favor of open feedback, open forum, the CEO is on down. You know, we as human beings have this natural tendency to you know to organize into you know smaller tribal groups, and we we erect barriers consciously and unconsciously. I'm not saying it's good, and I'm not saying you can't overcome it. I'm just saying the default you know the default nature of humanity is going to lead to this result more so often the, the than not. Natural, the natural, natural state, state of management. Natural state of management means that this is always a, t means that this is a tide that you're always fighting. And I think you- Yeah, I think there's some universality to that. But and, I think and, there are like out of, out of 100% of organizations, there's some percent on the left that will, you know, and I'm, I'm imagining a, a, like a, a scale and there's a line somewhere between zero and 100, right? To the left of that line, there are companies with management who allows effective, who promotes, who intentionally, in, intentionally causes employees to become effective when they have the ability and desire to do so. And then to the right of that line, there are unhealthy management cultures that do not. And I think on, you know, to the left of that line, an effective employee and an effective consultant look exactly the same. That what you're arguing is just, I think that practically speaking, that line is almost all the way or all the way at the left extent of the graph. And in other words, there is no actual practical company that exists that that promotes an environment where employees are successful in this regard. Pure, I would say purely promotes. Okay, because you, you, there, there's there's matters of scale here. Okay, um, take an organization where this kind of inter interplay of ideas and feedback. You know, I'm in engineering and I can give the salesperson feedback. You know, think about it. If there's some ideal organization where that's the case, okay. Well, if that is pure, if that is 100% pure, nobody's getting anything done because everyone's always collaborating with everyone else on other things that other people have seen. And so it, you, you almost, you reach a certain size and it also becomes a necessity because otherwise you're not able to focus on your job. You know, I've got things I've got to do. And Frank is shouting at me from engineering about this very valid thing. And then I've got, you know, Joe, the Joe, the reader here shouting at me from another department about this other very valid thing. But I have these other real responsibilities that I have to get done. And so no, Frank, I have to push the these out. Post the LinkedIn opportunity says it's a fast paced matrixed environment. That's not an unhealthy culture. <laughs> that's, you know, okay. So you want to talk, that's actually a broader, that's a broader subject that I would love to get into the notion of org charts and, and matrixed organizations. I'm going to add that one to the talking points because that is absolutely something that uh, I think exists no matter what. And it's a matter of what you do with it. Um, but anyway, um, so we so we we essentially I, I, disagree that my my answer to the question ultimately it what's the difference is management of the company okay. allowing the employees to rise to that level of success and then right. your your take is that 
is that 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 doesn't actually exist. There always will be a practical difference there. I would say, you're right. I would say because there there will always be a practical difference because humans are humans and there's no way that you can get away from that. Um, you're, you're just, it's, it's just... It's just part of the deal. It's just it's baked into the equation and you're, and you're not going to get away from it. Uh, if we could, I think we would have by now. There's so much science and study around management and people and consulting, books, you know? So I, I just I just don't think we're going to, there's nothing we can get away from it. So, um, but that's good conversation. Thanks, Joe. Really yeah, appreciate the question. Thanks, appreciate um, it. Well, if you have your own questions, feel free to... I thought I was going to ring the bell today. I probably should have. We did disagree. But um, if you have your own questions, feel free to shoot them over to us. Feedback at refactor.work. You can check out the show notes and our links to things like the books that we talk about on the website, refactored.work. If you want to read more about Chris, you can check him out at tonkinson.com. If you want to check my stuff out, you can check me out at hotcoals.com. K-O-E-H-L-S. This has been episode 67 of the Refactor Podcast recorded on April 19th, 2022. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks, Frank. See See you.